Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. An early start to the annual flu season in the United States, plus a spike in other respiratory illnesses, created a surge in demand for some over-the-counter medications and other products, according to the Associated Press. Dr. John Harrington is here to speak with us today about pediatric viral respiratory infections during the winter of 2022 to 23. Dr. Harrington is the Vice President of Quality Safety and Clinical Integration and the co-director of the General Academic Pediatrics Practice at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters and a professor of pediatrics at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Harrington. What are you seeing in your office and what are you hearing from your colleagues this winter regarding viral respiratory infections? So I think many offices are attacking this as a healthcare system in many ways, right? So our office is associated with a bunch of children medical practices, but we're also associated with urgent cares and we're also, we also have an emergency room. So the system is actually responding to it because we can't see all the kids in our offices and the urgent care can't see all the kids in the urgent care and the ED can't. So we're all sort of taking pieces of that population. And and essentially the urgent care volumes are up, you know, one and a half times to two times what they usually are. The EDs up one and a half to two times what they usually are. The outpatients, fortunately or unfortunately, we can only see what we can see because of staffing. And so generally you can't overwhelm your staff with more sick patients when we still have a lot of well patients to see from the backlog of COVID. So turned into sort of this sort of push and pull, you know, so if if we have openings, we take them in. When we're full, we kind of say, you need to go to urgent care if you need to be seen. And if you're really sick, then you maybe need to go to the ED. So, so we've had kind of a triage system throughout the whole system, which is helping it sort of sustain itself. But, but I'll tell you, you know, it, it, there's fatigue. You know, there's a lot of fatigue in terms of the staffing issues, you know, related to each department, you know, ED, the urgent cares, the hospital, the outpatients, and everybody's sort of dealing with that staffing, which is also causing burnout, which is all causing, you know, sort of all of this sort of healthcare fatigue. And, and really, the viral illnesses are surging after holiday. So we're probably going to see another surge after the Christmas and New Year's Eve season and stuff. So we're kind of bracing for that again. So hopefully once that all goes through, things will sort of die down. I mean, I look at the numbers every day in our, in our practice and in our system. And, you know, we were well over thousand patients in the urgent care, well over 300 kids in the ED. And, and then just over the last two days, it was down to like 250 in the ED, maybe 750, 800. So there's a little bit of a blip of going down but then we may see it pop back up again after the holidays. So we're seeing this kind of blips and surges that are going on with people getting together and then spreading the virus. And there are like three viruses that everybody talks about, the triple threat, RSV, flu, and COVID, right? So right now, flu was winning winning handily over the last few weeks. And now, you know, sort of COVID's making a comeback, which probably happened after the holidays. But so flu and COVID are really the, the main uh, players right now. RSV is still out there and still causing some 
degree of illness, but those, the two winners right now are, are COVID and flu. And that, I'm just talking about Virginia. It may be a little bit different in different areas of the country based on how the surges are moving across the country. What would you say is new in pediatric influenza vaccination in 2022 to 2023? Well, it's interesting. Different people are saying different things. I mean, I'm trying to sort of say, listen, if you can protect yourself against something, at least protect yourself against the flu, if you didn't get the COVID and then, but you've always gotten the flu. So why not get the, you know, why not get the flu shot this year? And some people are saying, you know, there's a little bit of fatigue about vaccines as well. You know, they're sort of, well, I got the COVID and I still got COVID and I get the fifth flu. I get the, but we try to message that if you get the flu or you get COVID and you have the vaccine, you're much less likely to die. And so we really try to sort of emphasize that issue that the vaccine prevents death. It doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting the illness. It just makes the illness less likely to cause death. And so a lot of times when I use or I message it that way, parents get a different tone and a different idea about, well, yeah, I guess, you know, like, and so, so when they say, you know, my aunt, you know, she had the flu vaccine and still got the flu. And I said, is your aunt still with us? You know, and they're like, yes, like she didn't die, you know, so therefore the flu vaccine worked. And so a lot of times the parents were like, well, I didn't know that that, that was why you give it. And I said, yeah, well, you know, COVID vaccine was protective against death. And so that's why we're pushing the COVID vaccine and pushing the flu vaccine, not only for their child, but also for the people at home who may have more likely have, you know, chronic illnesses and chronic diseases. Now, I know you just touched on this a little bit now, but is there anything else that you'd like to add about what's new in pediatric COVID-19 vaccination and what has the COVID-19 vaccine uptake been like in pediatrics? So it was very interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody's like, well, there's no vaccine for the kids. You know, they don't have any vaccine for the kids. And we were able to vaccinate most of the adults because they were at high risk, the ones, especially the ones over 65 and many of the people who are elderly were dying. But as we saw, as you move down the, the age categories, they were less and less likely to die from COVID. So there was less and less uptake from the vaccine. And plus the vaccine was coming out in stages, you know, sort of, you know, okay, now it's ready for the 12 to 17. Now it's ready for the six to 12. And now it's ready for the under fives. And so what happened was, is there was more and more fatigue giving out the vaccines. And now you had to give two vaccines or three vaccines as the initiation. And then, you know, as we had them out longer then there were boosters. And then that's also when we had our staffing issues. And so you had to go to a certain place to get your vaccines. You could go to the pharmacies or you could go to the pop-up places for vaccines. And that the vaccine schedule got really complex. And so, you know, my belief is, is that it's so complex that it's not happening. And, and so in some issues, I mean, we're, we're getting like rates of 10% or 5% vaccination for kids under five or, you know, maybe upwards of 20%. I don't know what the newest stats are saying and stuff, but I'm betting it's not more than 30 or 40%. And so you really can't get a carrying capacity of, of usefulness of the vaccines if you can't get them up to a certain level. And so I'm guessing, and if I was the guessing person on the vaccine front, I would say they're going to do some meetings at the vaccine committees, probably going to say, listen, we've got to simplify this. It's too complex. We've got to come up with a way that allows us to give the COVID vaccines in a way that can be managed in the outpatient world and even in any any place. And so 
I'm guessing they'll probably do it just like the flu because everybody kind of understands that you get two doses in your naive season and then you get a booster dose in the next season. And I think we're moving into that phase because it's been three years now or you know, two and a half years of this COVID, COVID, COVID. And we've not been good about vaccinating the younger kids because of the way it longitudinally came out. So I am sort of a, no, I'm not a betting person, but I basically think that, you know, we're going to have to do something to improve our vaccination. And that's probably to simplify the process. You know, it, it seems like we've gotten to that point where either we vaccinate or don't vaccinate because parents are like, so how many do I need? And when do I have to come back? And and we don't just have, we really don't have the staff to keep in the you know front staff, but other you know to try and do this unless we start automating a lot more. You know, having automated systems. A lot of people are looking at that in terms of you know moving things forward. Automate, have everybody get text messages and come to your office to get your shots. But then there may not be somebody there to give the shot because we have they're seeing patients. So it's becoming a bit of a, a catch twenty two because we'd love to be able to do all of this, but you need staff to do that. So, you know, that becomes the bigger issue in having staff available to do some of the healthcare issues that we've been able to handle before, but now are struggling to maintain. A big hot button topic as we enter 2023, there's a children's medicine shortage happening in some communities across the country. What is happening? What are you seeing? So as, as politics, all things are local, right? So you have local shortages. Amoxicillin liquid, 400 milligrams for five mLs is in short supply. So people say, well, try the 250 per five or the 125. And, you know, that's all gone too. So we're actually listing for our local groups, like which pharmacies have the medicines available. And then when amoxicillin's out, then you can use a cephalosporin. Or if the cephalosporin's out, then you know, you could use a third generation, if, you know, or, or, or whatever's available, essentially. It turns into our infectious disease people are trying to keep sort of abreast of this as well to sort of provide some advice for people not to use antibiotics that don't make any sense. So it is one of these things where we are patently seeing things that all of a sudden you, you send something to the pharmacy and then they can't get it. And so then you're, okay, we're seeing this with ADHD medications. Well, you know, this child's been on this medicine for two years and, you know, now there's none of it. No Concerta, there's no Focalin, there's no whatever. And so you try to use another medicine and then the insurance company turns around and says, you need a prior authorization for that because that one's much more expensive. I said, but there's none of it. <laughs> you know, so I can't, I can't give it if there's none of it. And so it turns into sort of patients just not getting their medications or delays in medications or getting only partial prescriptions filled. You know, they'll be like, well, we can give you 20 pills, not 30, you know? And so do you want to take the 20? And, you know, so it's sort of these types of things and doctors are trying to make decisions based on these shortages. So it's becoming a bit of a, you know, catch can, you know, you're sort of like, okay, so I heard, I heard Walgreens has it, but maybe, you know, maybe some of the other pharmacies don't have it or whatever. So, so you wind up sending people to different pharmacies to try and find the medication that you're trying to get them. So it's a, it's been somewhat of a, a difficult route. I mean, even something as simple as liquid Motrin is in short supply. And that becomes a big issue in the hospital when you're, you're trying to not give narcotics to kids. And we used to give, and we want to give liquid Motrin, but the child's too young to take a pill. So you're sort of like, so I don't want to give, Mot I don't want to give a narcotic because I can't give 
So then I give Tylenol that doesn't work as well. And Tylenol is in short supply or the liquid is, or, you know, whatever and the IV stuff is. And, you know, we've had shortages of albuterol for, you know, um, inhalation to, you know, to give to, to kids who have asthma and stuff. So then we have to use some other medication and stuff or, you know, use a, a pump, you know, when the parent's like, well, he won't take the pump or he's not using the pump well, he's under six months or how am I going to do that and stuff. So there's lots of things like that that are, causing consternation amongst our EDs and urgent cares and, and offices and, and hospitals actually, you know, that are, you know, sort of suffering under these supply shortages and supply chain issues. And what are you advising parents and guardians to do if they see empty store shelves? Most of the things for most of our colds and most of our illnesses and stuff like that just require rest, fluids, and just rest, you know, so a lot of times we don't do that. We want to continue doing what we're doing or we want them to feel better now. But a lot of times it's probably better for them to just stay at home, rest, take plenty of fluids and let it run its course. So the medications that they're getting at the stores are usually for, you know, the stuffy nose or for the cough or whatever. But generally coughs are not a bad thing. You just wear your mask or make sure you're not in front of someone else. Or, you know, you, you, you let them rest in, in their own room. And so a lot of times if there's, there's not medicine at that store, you could go to another one if you really feel you need that medicine. The prescriptions are different. Like if it's an antibiotic or if it's, you know, something that's really for the benefit of that disease or that disorder, like asthma or, or pneumonia or ear infection, then yeah, you, you probably have to call the pediatrician and say, it was not available at this pharmacy. Is there any other way I can get another medicine or can you try and send it to another pharmacy that's near me? Usually that can be done electronically now. So it's not a big, you don't have to come back to the office or anything like that. So it's done electronically and then we can search for the other pharmacy and then send it there. But that's why I'm saying we're, we're usually getting lists probably every week of which pharmacies have which medications so that we can send the patients to the right place. So again, a systems issue. We need to have those systems in place in order for these things to work for parents. So we know rest is very important, but what are you advising the parents and guardians of sick children when to see a doctor or when to get kids tested, things like that? It's all relative in some situations. You know, sometimes the adult at home may need to know whether or not their child is positive and, and that gets tricky too. You know, healthcare workers are sometimes obligated to test themselves so that they don't come to work with an infection. And if they do, we need to know which one it is in some cases. So they, we know how to sort of put them into the system, you know, where they can be located. If they should wear a mask, if they don't have a fever, they can work here. And so, you know, it, it really is tricky. So a lot of times though, for just generic, you know, if you feel ill, but you're not super ill, <laughs> you probably could stay home and rest, drink fluids and, you know, sort of keep, keep away from other people. If you're sicker and having trouble breathing, you know, or breathing more quickly or, you know, not drinking, not eating well, and so we probably do need to see you either in that situation of the office or the urgent care or the ED, depending on how that level of things, most of us are triaging as best we can, right? You know, you're calling on the phone and we're getting that information and then we try and get that triage call back to you. And, and again, because of staffing, sometimes it's hard to triage because that person calling you may have a hundred calls that they have to get through and you may have called and now it's two hours later and that person's calling and you're like, I already went to the urgent care. And it's like, well, you didn't need to, you know, you could have stayed home. 
well, I already went and they told me the same thing. And it's like, okay, so, so it is one of these things where, you know, people want to have things, you know, right at that time. But again, if people understood about staffing issues and understood about like, you know, we're trying to take things in the order in which they come, but it's sometimes you have to triage that to, this sounds really sick, I need to call them first, this one doesn't sound that sick, you know, I wish we could have some sort of way to do that faster, but, you know, sometimes you just can't do it as fast as the patient would like, and, and that becomes, you know, somewhat problematic in terms of overwhelming different systems. So everybody shows up at the ED, you know, because the office is closed or everybody shows up at the urgent care because nobody answered the phone because your staff was busy with something else and they, they let the phone ring for two minutes and the person couldn't wait those two minutes. I'm like that too. I, after two minutes, I just hang up and <laughs> try again. So, but it is one of these things where that happens and we monitor that. We, how long does it take to pick up the phone in your office? And once it starts getting elevated, then we have to add more people to the phones because you are, you're going to start getting people, you know, just saying, forget it. I'll just go to the urgent care or the ED. And so those, those are things that we monitor closely. And I think that's another system is issue. You got to keep track of those things, make sure they don't get overwhelming because then you'll overwhelm your system. And these are things that throughout the country we're going through and trying to manage well, not to mention like even for ourselves, like if we call and say, Hey, I'd like to have a, a well visit for myself. Whoa, how's 2024 looking? You know, <laughs> so they're booked out completely, you know? And so when we say there's nobody available, you know, in two to three months, people are like two to three months, how's that? Some places go further out. So, so it is one of these things that is, we don't see until the virus season calms down. I'm not sure how we're going to do it in the catch-up growth, you know, catch-up stuff, but we're, we're trying, you know, we're, we're definitely pushing and trying to come up with inventive ideas on how to do things faster and more efficiently, but also safely, you know. Is there anything else that you'd like to add regarding the viral respiratory infections in kids? So pediatric influenza, I mean, you have to see it as kids under two are the ones that are more likely to die from flu. You know, we see that every year and kids who have any sort of pneumonia or respiratory problems, they were premature. Those are the children that really need the flu vaccine and need to be protected against the flu. Obviously everybody else around them, cocooning them, you know, is also important as well. And if people are going to be somewhat vaccine hesitant or just vaccine fatigued, however you want to call that, they should at least consider the fact that if it is preventative of death and the most likely kids to die are the ones under age two or with some significant chronic illness, then please, please, please get those kids immunized and make sure they're up to date with their vaccines. We are not going to see everything go away right after January, right? So it started early and it's probably going to continue to March, maybe even April. And so if you haven't protected them yet, you should protect them now. And kids who have never had a flu vaccine need two if they're under age nine. If you have never vaccinated them, then you need to give two doses. So you're going to have to do that pronto. If they've had the vaccine before and then they only need one dose, just, you know, just get it in them. I mean, either go to your doctor's office or go to the healthcare clinics or, you know, or the pharmacies that have flu and, and get your vaccine. So, but if you have a child under age two or infant at home who can't get it, right? And make sure you are immunized so that you do not give it to your child. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Harrington. We appreciate it. You're welcome and happy to talk with you here today, Jessica. Thank you very much. For more pediatric influenza content, visit the Resource Center at consultant360.com.
www.thepurpleshouse.com. 